Hello, everybody. This is Josh, also known as Yashu, and you're tuning in to another episode of TLY Talks. Right now, we're on the 20th episode so far, uh, sort of like an anniversary, but I think we'll do more celebrating when we hit our 50th or 100th mark and all that, but hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, today, we have a Mississauga-based creative project manager, consultant, poet, and creative. He's worked with the likes of Roadrunner, DJ Charlie B, Swiss Chalet, Wayfair, Sick Kids. His work has been seen all over Nuit Blanche, House, and much more, and he has worked with the city the cities of Toronto and Mississauga, and has released a poetry project entitled Healing My Inner Child. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Mehad Mehus Mohammed. How are you doing today, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. You know, thank you for coming by to TY Talks for like the very first time and all that, you know, like a wonderful journey, by the way, too. And, you know, we followed each other like for a while back, too, as we were like discussing earlier on and all that. So it's an interesting journey to see you from your poetry to doing other forms of like creative work as well. And just seeing that support as well, you know, either way. 100%. I appreciate you having me. You know, your journey has been nothing short of inspiring where you started a couple of years ago to where you are now. Kudos to you for keeping going, man. Yeah, no, most definitely, man. Uh, well, since this is your uh, first time here, so you grew up in Mississauga, that's correct? Correct, yes. Most definitely. And what was it uh, like for you, like as a kid at the time, would you say that your childhood was like a good experience or would it be like very different? Uh, I would say it was definitely a different experience. Not to say it was a bad experience or not a good one, but it was different for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely and all that. Because I know Mississauga at the time too, like it's like very like popular, like all around throughout the years, you know, from square one to like, you know, the beaches area, like around like Lakeshore to like the schools to the artists and all that. So it's like an interesting journey from where it was before to now, like before, like there was like no condos that now there's like everywhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I think it's just a, an interesting point to raise. It's just human nature, right? The more we pollute, populate, the more we pollute, the more things go up. Yeah. This saga really, really has changed a lot in the last few years. Yeah. Because I think nowadays it's like more gentrified and all that. Like before, 100%. like it wasn't like as like interesting in that sense too. But like you know, it's becoming more popular now. Like just like even for music, you know. So, yeah, hundred percent. Even in terms of like gentrification, you look at like some of the the more lower income areas in Toronto, and Amsterdam is imitating that. Condos going up everywhere, and even with the music scene, it has been yeah. blowing up the last few years as well. Yeah, most definitely. Was it big for the creative arts at the time, and just in just being like an industry like area, or just as a community? So. Mississauga growing up was actually not very creative, at least in my experience. Um, if you were a creative, you kind of stood out and, and until you found your group, you know, you were kind of yeah. just there. In terms of Mississauga overall as a creative hub, I do feel like I can't say so much as much now because I'm not as involved in the scene. But back in the day, there was not much opportunity at all, um, you know, in terms of workshops, uh, creative development, creative expression and chances to work with like the city of Mississauga and like other people in parliament and the city council and city hall, all these things, there are more opportunities that are coming up now because there's more a demand for them. There's more opportunity for artists. Whereas before it was very focused on just, I guess the foundational things, right? Like community events um, and less on creativity. Yeah, most definitely. And um, for your introduction uh, to like the creative arts and content creating, uh, what was uh, that like for you, like within that experience? So it's actually uh, an interesting experience. So for grade seven and eight, I was actually, uh, I attended an international business and technology program at uh, Allen A. Martin. And that was like my first introduction to creativity because even though it was a business and tech program, they heavily influenced us with, you know, Adobe teaching us the bare bones of each program, the necessities. And those are my first, uh, I guess, professional introduction to creativity because it taught me a lot of the groundwork that I need to focus on, right? Principles yeah. of art, principles of design how to make graphic design work for you in a commercial sense. Yeah. Um, but even before that, I was a very artistic kid, you know, uh, always into like coloring, design, uh, you know, just like a kid kid does. And yeah. over the years, obviously, I kind of disconnected with that. But in reconnecting with my inner child and everything that I've been really focusing on, um, it kind of just came full circle. Yeah, no, most definitely and all that. Because I know with high school, like throughout the times, you know, like there wasn't as much like development within like the visual arts with creative arts and all that. Like, you would just go to, like, a typical art class here and there, right. and, like, that's it. But, like, as, like, other schools and programs, like Central Toronto Academy, where I used to go to uh, back then, they expanded more on their, like, digital arts uh, program, like, later throughout the years. And, like, other schools, like Rosedale, Etobicoke School of the Arts, uh, Cardinal uh, Carter Academy, like, there has been, like, a huge change, like, even, like, within the art scene there, you know, so. 100%. I think it's really interesting you say that as well, because when there's foundation and structure provided through schools, it's so much easier for 
you know, children and creatives of any creative discipline to find their place, to understand, and most importantly, have people to talk to that can relate and mentor them, right? Which I think Mississauga has a specific creative arts programs. You have, you know, your Kothra, you have the other ones, but when it comes to actual structure and foundation, we're getting there, I'd say. Yeah, almost wow, definitely. And, like, what made you decide on, like, wanting to, like, take your stuff to, like, the next level in terms of getting into poetry and your creative card content? So when it came to, to poetry, I've actually, I guess I should have mentioned this in the last question, but I've been writing poetry for a, a very, very long time. I'd say it's, like, one of the first things I've ever picked up. Um, I would say I consider it my most skilled craft. And in terms of, I guess, just finding the right place for it, it was always a place of expression. And then it came to a place of intimidation, right? When you know you have good work, but you don't know whether or not other people, you know, how they respond to it and things of the nature. So it was heavily an internal conflict, you know, feelings of doubt going back and forth. Should I share this? Should I not? And so one day you I kind of just got up and I said, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, no, most definitely. Like, have you ever felt that, like, with other people that, like, see your work, have you ever felt, like, at first, like, it was something that they didn't want to see and all that, just, like, with the time and culture in that sense, too? Because I know, like, you know, in the city, like, back then, like, you know, like, in the GTA, you know, no one was, like, very open into, like, going into that creative route. Like, most people are kind of, like, reserved, like, only go into, like, one lane. Absolutely. Was it sort of... Was it sort of like that for you, like in that sense? Absolutely, man. You took the, the words right out of my mouth. And when it comes to, I guess, any creative discipline or creative craft, creativity in general is a very vulnerable thing, right? When you're displaying like any art, in my opinion, good or bad, elicits emotional response. So when you're being vulnerable through your work, right, it can be taken as a, a negative. It can be taken as something bad. So for that reason, exactly, myself and a lot of other people included, they repressed their creativity until... It came to a point where it's like, who am I hiding my hidden skills from, right? Yeah, no, almost definitely. And, you know, like, just your initial, like, goal or idea, like, was, like, creative art something that you wanted to do as, like, a full-time career? Or was it was there, like, something else, like, in the way that wanted like that you wanted to do, like, instead? So this is actually kind of interesting you asked that because, obviously, like, you know, everyone wants to be an artist as a kid and you grow up, then the realities of life kind of kick and, you know, you got to pay bills and all that, so you got to figure a way out, but... One thing I guess I give myself credit for is ever since I was young, for as far as I can remember, I, I know I've had hustle in me. And what's the ambition, the desire to do better, which led me to build a good level of business acumen, right? To yeah. understand business, how to deal with people, clients like. And that's really what was the definitive time where I'm like, I want to make a business out of something. And I've had many past businesses and brands that I have filled, you know, that weren't just upkeeping with how much I was inputting and the output wasn't matching. So I've had to step away. But when it came to treating my creative craft like a business, I feel like I'm most successful at this and will be because one thing I'm really good at is marketing and selling myself. Yeah. yeah. And was this like straight from school in that sense that you've learned it from? Or was it like just from doing stuff like, you know, like prior back then, like from your work experience in that sense? So um, are you in terms of creativity? Uh, just like from the marketing, from oh, the marketing aspect, because yeah. like when you talked about like marketing, was it something like just straight from your school experience or was it more so like from the work experience that you've uh, had before, like as detailed, like in your resume? So I think it was definitely the work experience. Um, I actually, I dropped out of UTM the uh, second year, shot at YouTube university and rolled thereafter. Um, you know, a lot of it is self-taught, but when it comes to the marketing, the sales and management, a lot of people actually don't know this, but from the ages of like 18 to 21, 22, I managed multiple sales offices, right? Um, you know, Sick Kids, Donor Works, and these were things that we did marketing campaigns for through marketing budgets, whether it be going door-to-door, -door, doing mall setups. And I learned marketing in a different way, right? Yeah. Through these things and work experience. Yeah, most definitely. And who would you consider, like, your main inspirations in terms of, like, your creative journey so far? So that's actually really interesting. When it comes to, I guess, who I draw inspiration from, it's, more or less, more so my environment and experiences than it is a specific artist. Obviously, you know, you have your, your Basquiat, your Andy Warhol, and all these bigger names that you draw some type of inspiration from as you're going on your creative journey. But when it comes to art and art history, I wouldn't say I'm the most educated on these things. So what I'm able to do is draw inspiration from my life, my experience, what's around me. And that's been working a lot better for me, per se, because it's my story personified through art. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, like, just, like, even speaking on inspiration, too, because, you know, Mayhus, you know, it's kind of, like, a unique name that, you know, no one no one really thinks about in that sense, too. So, in that sense, uh, how did you manage to get that name by any chance? So, Mayhus is uh, an interesting name for sure. Uh, are you familiar with the game League of Legends? 
Uh, yeah, like I know like people who've played the game before, so yeah. yeah. So like growing up in high school, we were like heavy into that. All the homies played it and stuff. We had uh, this, the Discord server and the voice comms on. And uh, it's interesting. So my real name is Mahad, but people used to call me Mahad back in the day. So I there was a, a character whose name was Ramus, right? And I started calling him Ramus. And then a, a homie just called me Mehus, and it kind of just stuck. And uh, like it's a saying, right? You don't really pick your nickname. Your nickname picks you. And it worked perfectly just because I am like a fun-loving guy. I have that high energy. And, it's, and the reason I kind of stuck with it, believe it or not, is because it kind of does sound goofy, right? When you hear the word or the name Mehus, you think it's like some funny video game character and that's the kind of response I want people to have because you know I want people to underestimate me and not take me seriously until they see me in my element and they're like whoa yeah. <laughs> you know yeah no most definitely and all that um I know like when you spoke about like League of Legends and all that like were you like heavy into gaming uh, back then oh man I was just uh I was a gaming kid bro like as far as I can remember Dragon Fable RuneScape League of Legends uh yeah. your 2k like I was a, a gaming kid right yeah. that's like my first escape I found until I really, really found, like, how detrimental all the time you're investing into it is. And, you know, I kind of have to step away. Yeah, most definitely. Have you ever felt, like, with gaming, like, had it played more into, like, the creative projects, like, on the side, too, just with the creativity? Because, you know, with game design, with color, with saturation, they do play, like, a role in Absolutely. how, yeah. Absolutely. That's such an interesting point because I guess more so now than before because I'm actually learning 3D now, right? 3D modeling, painting, sculpting, and all these things attribute heavy to game design, uh, you know, real Unreal Engine, all of these things. So now I'd say it's more so I could draw more inspiration from there. But in the past, I don't think I was able to. Yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, we're moving on to part two right now. So I know like there was like this uh, one uh, tweet that I read like a while back, you know, like detailing. Like it was like something like detail, like your first like murder or something like that, like back <laughs> then. But like for you, like since this scene is like very different. Detail me your first major project. How did you approach it? And what was like the process like for you starting from scratch until the project was complete? Oh, man. So my, my first big project, I would say, was Nui Noir 1. And just to give you a bit of background. So during the pandemic, obviously, Nui Blanche and all these art shows that were public weren't going on. So I took it upon myself to, you know, make a privatized art show showcasing local designers and artists in Toronto. And this actually, believe it or not, took me over a year to complete. It actually started off as an idea, scrap pieces of paper on my condo floor on a vision board. And for about six to eight months, I just chewed away at it. How do I do this? How do I figure it out? Not knowing any idea how to do an art gallery to facilitate an event, to manage a project or a budget that big. And then six to eight months later, I'm like, yo, I just got to start. So I started scoping out venues, started checking things out, uh, seeing what logistics would work. Then I'm like, hey, I'm a step closer. Put it on back burner for a bit because, you know, I wasn't working and then... Five, six months later, like I got the opportunity to work with the venue where it's like, you know, we could do this. And how I started maneuvering since that point is just taking raw ideas and making lists. And I guess that is my my structural management project is make a list of everything you need to do, make a sub list of what you need to do in those areas and just attack. And I did that. And it was a very, it was a very big process of trial and error, you know, like seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. A lot of ideas I realized were good on paper in theory, but when it came to execution and actually doing these ideas in real time, they wouldn't play out, right? There's a lot of a lot of logistics and planning that need foresight beyond just the basic food, drink, security, bartenders, lighting and sound, right? That's the basics for an event, but in real time, how many bathrooms are there? Are the bathrooms going to be open? Is it going to be packed? What's the door entry? Like these little things help me understand the event game more. So how it came to be then is just... It, was, it became a movement, right? Like a lot of people got behind it, like as if it was their own idea, which I loved because it showed the power of community, right? Of creative support. And eventually we knocked it out. Um, it was a very, very big learning experience, the first one, yeah. um, which led me to have success in the future events and take a lesson in the first one. Yeah, nah, most definitely. And, you know, like even like dealing with like promoters too in that sense, you know, like or someone like hosting the thing, like how was their approach of seeing like your project for like that very first time and all that, like, were they, like, very, like, impressed on, like, uh, what they've seen? Or, like, have you ever felt, like, you know, you might have missed something for a little bit, you know? So, obviously, like, in hindsight, when I look back, you know, um, there are a lot of things I could have done better. Uh, a lot of things I did miss. Uh, you know, small things like getting enough ice cups. Um, you know, having these things yeah. stocked up and piled up. Um, when it came to promotion and, like, other people seeing the marketing behind it, what it heavily, heavily came down to it was just what the heck is going on here? Like, why are all these people congregating? What's the purpose? And I guess the scale of the operation, just because of how I approached it, really shocked people. 
Um, I wouldn't say the right word would be impressed. I would say the right word would be shocked just because they weren't expecting it. Yeah. Um, in terms of just how I, you know, made like a, a map of the entire venue, broke it down, where everything's going to go. It was more shocking to people just to see like yeah. the level of commitment and dedication behind it. Yeah. Because like this is like your very like own project and all that. And like, you know, like having people like sort of like, you know, having like that experience to like not like help out, but like, you know, just to like showcase the area, you know, like providing the space and all that, like, and you handling like everything else too. Like it was like kind of like a different experience in that sense. Sorry, could you repeat the last part? Oh, no. So like, you know, with um the like... You know, you like covering everything, you know, just like with managing like the projects being around and then like, you know, people like having like that space to um, unless you booked uh, the space in that sense was it, like sort of like a whole different experience, you know, just from the rules like being played in that sense. Absolutely, because sad, but very true truth in life is that people will almost always get behind something that's already built than build something from scratch. Yeah. So. When they kind of saw all the legwork I've done and the year I put in behind this idea to make it happen and kind of bring it to fruition, they're like, oh, I just got to pull up and be a creative, do what I'm good at. Yeah. Then everyone kind of doubled down because they realized, man, let's face it. And there's nothing against creatives because I know a lot of, you know, creative entrepreneurs, but it requires two different parts of your brain to be a creative and to have business acumen, structural management, and understand the budget, marketing, promotion. They're two different things that use different parts of your brain, in my opinion. So... For people to get behind it and understand that they wouldn't have to play outside their own genius was the best part. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, being uh, multifaceted with your skill set and all that, you know, like I read like the skills that you've had and everything else like on the resume, like, and you also detailed your creative pr- approaches uh, too for a bit, like, but like, can you detail like more like when dealing with a project, like what would like a typical uh, day be like for you working on a creative project for your clients or like for a client or like for your own brand in that sense? So for sure. So every project that I do, whether it's a, a single logo or a whole branding project or a whole event, I always have the same steps, right? So I have my prerequisite steps, which is qualifying and seeing if I even am a good fit to work with this person, right? And then it comes down to the structure and ideation process where it's like I'm heavily invested in understanding what they want to do. And then it comes a project management process, which is very simple. And it's a project proposal. It outlines the communications, the risk contingencies, uh, how to of the risk mitigation, how to avoid it the numbers, um, all these little things. And it's very cut and dry from there where it's a project proposal, right? And then you're looking at the whole structure and timeline of the project. Then you're looking at the breaking it down to different little project flows. So something, for example, like that would be a clothing line, right? Hypothetically, if you're managing a clothing line for an artist or working with them, then you would have to break it down to different sections. You have your launch, you have your post-launch, you have your marketing, and you have your retaining. Right. Yeah. So your launch should be things like media assets, promotion and a bit of a marketing budget. Your marketing is stuff like a giveaway, uh, you know, things to get people behind the brand. And then what comes after that is pretty much maintenance and upkeep of what you've built in the sense that a lot of people are a lot of people don't think it out to the end. And obviously there are steps that kind of pop up, but the risk contingency and mitigation allows you to outline every risk you see coming and what steps needed. Right. So all these things are transferable is what I'm trying to say. Right. And a typical day in the life would mean managing different project flows. So, for example, if a project starts at ideation, then I do the discovery call, this and the invoice, they sign the service agreement, all the way down to, okay, it's signed, next step. Yeah, it's very, like, interesting, too, in that sense, because it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're your own team, like, just, like, handling, like, everything else, too. So, like, you know, like, even, like, dealing with that independence, does it kind of, like, take, like, a toll on you, like, in terms of, like, burnout, uh, like burnout and all that, or... Would it be like a different like situation? Honestly, absolutely. And I'd be lying to you if I say, you know, there are days I don't feel burnt out or tired because I am doing so many different things. But one thing I've really learned that helps me is a daily check-in, right? So I check in with myself in the morning. How am I feeling? Uh, you know, am I able to do the work I need to do? Am I falling behind? Um, and then I do a nightly check-in. What did I do today? Did I accomplish what I set out to do? Did I get distracted? And it really just comes down to five basic pillars of life that I quantify and qualify by, which are spiritual health, emotional health, mental health, physical health, and financial health, right? Yeah. All these things. And in that order, too, if you check in and tend to them on a daily basis, do something right for your mind, body, and soul, I feel like there is no reason to get burnt out, right? They say, actually, it's an interesting saying that, Burnout is not when you're doing too much work, but when you're doing a lot of work that doesn't fuel who you are, right? So you're draining yourself of your energy, your creativity, and 
whatever else it is, just because you can't get involved in the fact that this work is not for you. But if it's something like passion, like how passionate you are about this podcast interviews, it pulls you, right? Yeah. It's like a, a pulling mechanism where it's like, yo, you yeah. know what you need to do, the steps you need to take. Yeah, and exactly. it's just such a dedication that you're pulled with. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, you know, like just like even like running like all these other things too, like running like a record label and like maintaining like maintaining a photo studio. How was that like? So, yo, that was actually one of the most rewarding experiences, I would say, on a, a level of fulfillment, purpose and actually understanding new things and trying new things. But on a, a purpose of, uh, you know, straight financials, it wasn't the greatest because it was a, a passion project. A uh, photo studio went very well because, you know, I was again, I'm good at marketing and selling myself. Photography was a great way to start and get my foot in the door because I could provide people a lot of value. You know, hey, what's up? I like what you're doing. Let's do a shoot at my studio on me. And people love that. It was a great way to connect. But the reason I kind of stopped doing photography for other people, I still kind of do it for my family and my homies, is just because a lot of the times, more so than not, people don't value it as a craft, right? They think they, any any guy could just go get a camera and now he's a photographer. And it's like, when you tell someone your price, like, bro, I could get a $700 camera and shoot it. It's like, okay, so shoot it. Why do you need me? Right? So people didn't respect or revere the craft enough for me to stick with it. So it was a, a, a bittersweet feeling starting out like that. With the record label, it was just so empowering to, you know, teach myself skills as an independent artist and other independent artists, the structure of what they need to do, right? Because... There's music as an art, and then there's the business of music. Two very, very different things. Yeah. That's why the biggest artists in the game have managers. That's why the biggest deals in the game, they have a lot of overhead and different companies dealing with them, accountants, lawyers, to actually handle the business process. So yeah. it was interesting to teach them the very basics, how to get their stuff on SoulCan, uh, you know, get their stuff up on distribution, how to, you know, main thing is schedule and log out the releases. Yeah. So you're not just sporadically throwing a song up, have some structure yeah. and plan behind it. Yeah, exactly. Like PR2 and all that and also right. like street teams. Because I think right now, not a lot of artists like nowadays have like street teams unless you have like a label like coming with you. Um, I know like in some cases too, there are like posts like all around like the city. Like you'll see King Street, you know, there's like, you know, like a QR link for like someone's song. Uh and it's from like a Toronto artist, like for like Spotify or SoundCloud and all that, and like people can access that like right there. But like other people, they don't like kind of value that whole like importance of that stream team, you know, like having like posts like all over the city and all that, you know? 100%. And also, I guess, really comes down to how you want to gauge your audience, right? Because if you're doing a top 40 pop, you know, like maybe a street team isn't the best way to reach out yeah. to them. So understanding your audience is the main thing. And when it comes to actually like the marketing, I've seen some creative marketing for sure. But I wouldn't say that Toronto, like the thing with local music, and this is not even just Toronto, it's like anywhere in the world. A lot of independent artists think they're just going to make a crazy track, a drop it, some go viral, and then you're on, right? It, it doesn't work like that. Like it has so much more structure, planning, and methods behind it that people don't realize you got to go get some publication done. You got an EPK ready to send out. You got to have your stream numbers ready, right? All these things and stay on top of that, get playlisting done, tapping with the right music executives. Yeah. All these things, like they're heavy in the music people that understand them are higher up and heavier in the music industry because they understand just as important as a good song or product is the marketing team and push behind yeah. it is even more important yeah. the best music i know from local creatives has less than a thousand hits on youtube and spotify and if i play you this stuff you're like yo there's no way this is fire but because it lacks the right structure behind it it's not booming yeah no most definitely and that's kind of like the difference between like certain artists uh, from the city versus like others like in that sense too. And yeah, no, nah, definitely agree in that sense. Too. Absolutely, right? Yeah, man. Um, you know, I want to detail more on your project, Healing My Inner Child. I know you talked about the inspiration beyond that, like on like the side door, like article, like that's correct, right? Yep. Uh, but what was like the creative uh, process like and what was like the overall reaction from others like when you released it? So the creative process was actually heavily just going through my notes and I have thousands that's not even a lie of poems that i want to put out but structuring and scheduling them in a way that it makes sense in a cohesive project so a lot of it was picking the right ones editing them taking poetry out putting poetry back in and once i had a i guess a catalog of nine pieces of poetry to work with what i then did was i made a book out of them right and it was a whole poetry book and i wanted to add more dimension and depth to the project just so if you're not a visual learner you can still enjoy it so then i recorded it added my own mixing and stuff to it, you know, with the right team. And I use this to basically make a poetry album that's synonymous with the book in the sense you can enjoy both at the same time or individually. Yeah. The creative process as a whole was very, very methodical, very 
calculated, I would say, more so than just uh, a shot in the dark on a bullseye board. It was very thought out in the sense that from ideation to presentation, from the idea of the project on a vision board, all the way down to the event release and the after party and the listening party, it was all thought out, right? And it was all calculated and it was very well done on my end, but obviously because I'm trying to be an artist and the manager, you're spreading yourself in two areas, it doesn't always work the best. So the, the project in terms of how other people responded to it, very good. A lot of people, whoever did get the chance to read the book or listen to it, only had positive reviews. Uh, there was a couple of suggestions in terms of light mixing, um, you know, the fonts yeah. for the book, very light stuff. But overall, the reaction was very good. Um, it was just on me, again, to stay consistent, which I didn't do and keep dropping after. Mm-hmm. But it really showed me that my poetry could make an impact, could yeah. make a difference, and I have to approach it in a way that's personable yeah. to me. Yeah, most definitely. Is there like any other chance you'll be like releasing music soon, like to follow up on the project or like what's the moment right now? Yeah. So I'm actually working on my next project right now. It's called Letter to My Craft. Um, basically, this is just a three part poetry project that's going to be heavy with the visuals as well. I don't want to give out too much, but I have thousands of pieces of poetry I want to share. The right way to do it is just having cohesive projects that I could embed them into and release so it's an immersive experience, not just a, another album. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, like from your work uh, right now, you worked like throughout the uh, pandemic in terms of like hosting your events and having like all these other projects co- coming by. So how was it like working throughout the pandemic on all these like projects? And did you have to like modify or change things to follow like social distancing and COVID protocols? Or did you do things basically, uh, basically the same as you would like right now? No, uh, definitely like, you know, whether or not my belief systems on like, you know, social distance or and all that mattered, it was heavily, heavily to do with the people I'm working with, respecting their boundaries. So obviously there were precautions taking. I remember while like right after I moved into the studio, there was like a two, three month period. Everything was locked down. Um, people apparently weren't allowed to leave their houses after nine or something. And it was just a very big process of making sure everyone was comfortable, uh, the distancing rule in the office because they're still running a business at the end of the day. And then other things like just making sure there was hand sanitizer and all these things. And when it started out, it was obviously very annoying, but you had to adapt. But then as time went on, a lot of the people that I was working with, they obviously had similar views. So you had to accommodate that. You had to make sure everyone was good. If they wanted a vaccine check at the door, you know, you can't accommodate that. So over time, it was like, yo, business is all about pivoting, right? Like the most successful people in the world adapted. So I had to heavily learn that my opinions, beliefs, morals, and responsibilities may not be in alignment with someone else. And yeah. it's always about the client business. Yeah, no, most definitely, man. Because I do feel like, you know, like a lot of changes had to be made throughout the pandemic, whether it's like for live shows or for other events too. Like there's like some events where you still have to wear like a mask and all that, you know, like at mm-hmm. some venues because, and also like you have to have like the two doses too. So it's kind of interesting, like how some like line up versus like others where it's like a free for all in that sense. 100%. Yeah, man. Um. So how was it like having your projects shown in Nui Blanche in like visual arts, like Mississauga? How did that come about and what was like that feeling like? Yeah, so Visual Arts Mississauga, I've worked with them a couple times now and in, uh, in regards to just doing my poetry for them. And they've been so gracious to obviously pay me for my craft. So um, it's honestly been the most eye-opening experience, man. Maka, like just being told you're good enough at what you love doing to get paid for it is the most like rewarding feeling. And it was a very, very big connection I made because obviously, you know, the city of Mississauga and all these local communities have the structure and foundation to help you, to help level you up and escalate your craft. So working with them was a very eye-opening thing. I actually got in contact with them with a contact, uh, Hibba. She owns Open Gallery. You know, she's been so gracious at connecting local artists with different people. So the first time around, that's how it happened. The second time around at their second exhibition, they reached out and said, hey, we loved your poetry. We want to perform again. I said, yeah. Uh, in terms of Nuit Blanche, so I've actually worked with Nuit Blanche a couple of times. Um, way back, it was just as a volunteer, kind of getting my foot in the door. This was before the pandemic. And then afterwards, the pandemic, this year was the first one that opened, um, you know, because I'm also working at Moonlight right now. Uh, you know, Sava, the owner, was so great in helping me, getting me involved, putting me on the project, getting to do the entire setup with him and it was such a rewarding experience just because throughout the day, I saw a lot of my homies pull up and be like, yo, this is sick. And I'm like, yo, I, I had a, a, a part in that. And it's just a rewarding experience seeing that the city of Mississauga and Toronto really help local creatives get their work seen. Yeah, most definitely. Because like you'll also have like people who've never like seen your work before, like all over like the city and all that. And like some people would have like different reactions and all that. I know like even with uh, Nuit Blanche, you know, back then it was just like as a hub for like teenagers 
you know, just getting high, like, or drunk, like, on the weekend <laughs> and all that, you know, so... And it like, still is, don't get yeah. it wrong. <laughs> it still is, but yeah. it's it's interesting because, like, yo, I was one of those teenagers, right? Like, right yeah. after high school, uni, we were doing the same things, like, yo, everyone's out till six, smoking, drink, till your yeah. brain's out, but over time, you kind of start seeing the opportunity involved, right? You start saying, wait, if there's this many streets closed, how much government funding is involved? Wait, yeah. so how much are they paying these people? And like yeah. these things, like they add up in your head and it's like, yo, if I really want to make an opportunity out of this, I got to capitalize. Yeah. So when you start looking into these things from a business standpoint and not just like a, I guess a recreational standpoint, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, and also uh, too, um, I know like, you know, when you're working with like city council and all that, like for both cities, you know, you know there's always going to be like an issue in terms of, you know, finding, like, the right amount of funding for art and all that. So I don't know if you've always, like, had those, like, issues uh, before, like, where you've had, like, a council member or, like, a lobbyist or, like, a juror, like, you know, maybe not seeing, like, the vision, like, appropriately in that sense, too, and, like, you probably had to, like, share it, like, show it in, like, a different way or show it? 100%, man. There's always pushbacks, especially if you're dealing with uh, government and, you know, bigger corporate brands, you know, like Fortune 500. There's always a pushback because... Obviously, at the end of the day, they have a level of integrity and, you know, a brand to protect, right? Yeah. They can't just, like, let anyone walk in and jeopardize what they've spent so much time working so hard to build. So there's always a screening process, a criminal record check, all these little things that, you know, there's, that delay the process, yeah. right? And by the end of it, I'm not even liable. Usually, after applying to one of these arduous processes, filling out the application, waiting, doing the screening, one, two, three, the interviews— you're usually so drained by the end of it, you don't even care. Yeah. I'm not even lying. So it's a very long and meticulous yeah. process. But if you can ride it out, if you can get through it and see the value of pushing through it, the rewards, if you know it all works out, are endless. But you have to be, again, able to pivot, adapt, and really not, I don't want to say compromise your creative vision, but unfortunately, you're going to have to compromise something, right? Whether it be the delivery, the funding, the budget, yeah. the the presentation, Something has to be compromised to make it work because they have cookie cutter puzzle pieces they want you to fit yeah. into. And if you lack adaptability, you're not going to be able to compromise yeah. and, you know, yeah. monetize off yeah. that. Yeah. Because I know uh, recently, you know, like, th like there's like the city elections that happened like all over like, you know, the GTA and like all over like other parts of like Ontario. So like how did that like affect the idea of like visual arts and like creativity to the city? Like did you feel like even like with your city or even in Toronto, like they still made the right choice or have you felt like it? change the whole aspect of the arts industry like forever honestly man the the privatized art industry when it comes to like just museums and toronto and everything it's messy and i the reason i say this bro is a perfect example of this is like i don't know how long ago this was but there was a, a team that ford put out that went around taking down all the the graffiti that artists and stuff put up throughout the city tagging itself and tell me how that the, the team that they hired covered up a $400,000 mural that they the city of Toronto paid to do, right? So it's just like, it's so counterproductive because what do you define as art now, right? So it's like, if the city of Toronto funds an artist to, you know, almost half an M to put up a whole mural of graffiti across a whole block, yeah. and then the team that's taking down the tagging takes it down, what do you quantify and qualify as art, right? Yeah. Is it a nice, beautiful oil painting? Is it a digital NFT? And it really just comes down to the yeah. community, Right. So I feel like the city of Toronto and Mississauga, they're doing a lot for artists. Don't get me wrong, but there's so many more privatized governments, communities and organizations doing more. Right. You have things like Visual Arts Mississauga. You have places like House. You have other incubation centers that are doing so much because they understand the creative on a personal level. You go to the yeah. city of Mississauga, the city of Toronto, City Hall Council. You're just a number. You're a case number. You're, you're a person. You're not a person. You're a case number. You're a number in the system. And that's how they deal with you. Right. They look yeah. at numbers, budget, and see if it's going to work. They don't take in our story, your socioeconomic status, your upbringing or culture. And that's the difference, right? And that's what makes you you. Yeah. So it makes a big difference. Yeah, no, exactly. Because I know like even when you're impressing like some of these people too, you know, maybe, like, maybe they might not be like aware of how like that this new form of art is like different from what they've had like many years ago and all that. And it's just like even having like that specific team too, because sometimes like the vision might be like, quite different as well too like as you said you know it's just like a statistic like in the game and all that but when you have like these actual jurors that are more like open and are keen to like what's going on right now you'll understand like why the situation is like they've even did the same thing uh, with education you know like with uh, ford changing it to something from like 1998 or something like that with like sex ed so even though we're in a whole different universe with you know, new gender changes and, you know, sexual changes and consent and all that. So it's a whole different aspect, you know? It is. And I just feel like, man, 
just because like, yo, I actually studied policy, political science on like yeah. a, a pretty decent level, like to actually understand what's going on. It's all privatized business yeah. at the end of the day, you know, and yeah, exactly. our tax dollars funded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nah, most definitely. Um, you know, just getting on to the questions for a bit too. So like from working on your first creative project until now, like I know you detailed about like the whole like first creative project. But did you feel that you've grown as creative and that you came a long way in that sense? Absolutely, man. Every day I kind of, every time rather, I look back on my creative journey and see where I started and where I am. It's always just like a, such a humbling and gratifying experience to see all the ideas I was thinking of a few years ago that I didn't have the resources for. I now am playing out and doing properly just because the resources for the first time I can say match my vision. And so often as creatives... We're in La La Land, like literally, you yeah. know, like I, I live in my own world, my head's in the clouds and I, I'm not afraid to admit that because that's what keeps me going, right? A lot of people ask how I'm able to do these events, four or 500 people and do all these different things. And I give them one answer and they look at me crazy. I tell them it's delusion. Yeah. It's, it's literally delusion. Looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, no one's ever done this. I'm crazy enough to try it. And then actually sticking through with it. It's the delusion that keeps me going because... Where I'm at in life and where I see myself, it's a night and day difference, right? So the delusion lets me work towards where I know I'm going to be. But at the same time, if I don't stay grounded enough, you know, it's a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, most definitely, man. Um, we're getting into part three right now, you know, working with like brands, creatives okay. and clients and all that. Um, you know, two interesting ones that I found out uh, right now, uh, DJ Charlie B., from like the logo and all that. Um, I know you worked with like B-Side Radio as well too. Mm -hmm. I followed like their podcast like a little bit too and like oh, Roadrunner nice. and all that. Um, yeah. You know, one of the biggest artists like in the city. I think he was supposed to open up for uh, GI like just- Yeah, he's yeah. opening up on, on Tuesday. Yeah, um, I don't know if, the, um, I think, I don't know if that show is still going on. I'd have to check, but how did you guys manage uh, to work and what was like working with them like? Uh, so honestly, man, like especially Charlie B, Roadrunner, all these guys, like you look at like the general population of celebrities, you'd think they're just stuck up, snobby, and you know, that's your kind of your interpretation going into it. But man, two of the most humble guys I know, they they keep you real, they're honest, they show love, and it was just a really gratifying experience overall. Um, you know, with Charlie B, I actually worked with uh, Gold Club, you know, shout out Gold Club, and did uh, a bunch of events with them and media management. So we had Charlie B come out for Jay Legere's release. Um, and it was just an insane experience just meeting him there, you know, how humble he was, you know, at showing everyone their love, talking to them, everyone trying to get a picture with him and stuff. And these guys know what it's like to come from a certain spot in life and then, you know, not let their current circumstances change their roots because yeah. then you have it all messed up. And even Runner, man, Runner, shout out Roadrunner, he's a great, great guy. Um, you know, I did a bunch of media design and branding for him for his, uh, his dead friend's brand and also some photography. And he's just such a great and honest guy. Yeah. Uh, I tapped him in with a couple other places, like interviews. Uh, my homie that owns Cry Boys, I got like an interview set up and stuff. Yeah. So it was just all these little projects that I did with them only worked out because of who they were, right? If they didn't, because at the time when I met Charlie B like a year or something ago, like if he didn't give me the time of day because I was a no one, a lot of doors may not have opened yeah. up, right? So it's like for him to do that and see value is like, is immense. And then even Roadrunner, same way is like, I remember when I met him, I kind of showed him when I was on and like, you know, it was just so quick. He was like, yo, I need you on my team. And it's humbling, but it's it's motivating at the yeah, same time exactly. to see it's like, wow, you know, someone of your level sees value in me. That's when you push harder. Yeah. And, you know, you guys like share like one thing, you know, you guys have, you know, like a similar like descent, like in terms of like, ethnicity and like well, culture absolutely. and all that. Yeah, especially yeah, literally runner yeah. and trolley B. Yeah, you yeah. know, South Asian and uh, sorry to cut you off, but it's so hard for us. Like as, you know, as a community when there's so much like, don't get it wrong. Like, yo, I'm an advocate for community funding, but there's so many funding for local black youth for, you know, as there should be, yeah. but there's not enough representation now, right? Now you're not getting enough for European youth. You're not getting enough for, for local youth, you know, South Asian, you yeah. know, and Pakistani, Indian, Tamil, and all the, like, these are real issues. Yeah. And these are still kids in the ghetto, right? Yeah. These are still kids in low-income housing and areas that they could use structure, community funding and programs Definitely. to change your life and make a difference. Yeah. No, most definitely. And I do kind of agree like in that sense because I do feel like the importance of a mentor and an importance of bringing culture within like this new format of education and understanding should help like even like specific communities like all together and all that, you know, because especially when you see like people of like the similar like origins and all that, you know, they're getting into issues that, you know, like not to discuss it, but like that might not be like within the right space too. So like having like that mentor 
like as like similar to like a black absolutely. mentor like it's like needed in that sense too to get them on the right track and all that you know absolutely i mean like it's it's the it's the mistakes of our mentors that we learn from right so yeah. it's like to have someone that understands your culture how your mom and dad are feeling as you're going yeah. around fucking around you know can really relate to you and say listen kid you know i know it's all fun and games now but four or five years later when none of your homies are out here because they don't give a shit about you how's it gonna feel you know, and understanding that the cultural impact these kids have to deal with, the cultural pressures to become a doctor, engineer, or lawyer yeah. because your parents immigrated from a country, right? It's high. And if you don't have someone telling them like, yo, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to go do what you need to do. It's okay to be your own person. Man, these kids are going to have their self-esteem crushed for trying to be yeah. something that they never were. Yeah, exactly. And I do feel like, yeah, that's like very important too. I do feel like you know, just even, like, the whole idea of, like, education and understanding, you know, because, like, you have to figure out, like, why they're getting into, like, certain habits, uh, too, you know, with music and all that, because they're looking at the rappers and they're looking at, like, all of the other artists and the people, like, in the streets as, like, an influence uh, nowadays, too, like, with these uh, young kids, like, of all, like, origins and all that. It's not, like, a young black kid from Jane and Finch, like, getting into it. It's young brown kids from, like, Brampton or Scarborough or Markham or Mississauga, like, even, like, getting into that, like, kind of vibe, too, like, one of, like, the biggest artists out right now is a rapper from, like, it's, like, a Pakistani rapper from Forncliffe Park, like, in the city. And then, like, also, like, a half, like, Filipino, like, half Jamaican kid from Jane Finch and all that. So it's, like, a whole, like, different experience, like, from there, you know, so. Absolutely. And, like, I think that's a deeper conversation just in terms of music, uh, music influence. I think it goes beyond that still because... I, I used to deal with those things, right? Um, you know, these things look cool. They attract a certain level of attention, floss, finesse. Like, this is how you got to be. Yeah. But what it really, really comes down to, bro, it's so much deeper because, like, yo, you look at things like a hood community and, you know, there's everyone from a low-income area, like, in some way, shape, or form has coming from broken homes, right? So the only real love and validation, credibility, and connection you find is with your brethren and your people you meet yeah. out on the road because... They understand you, right? Your parents from broken homes that are working all hours of the day, can't there, aren't there to support, to be there as a mental crush, they'll never understand you. So who better to relate and associate with than someone who understands your life, what you're going through, but that's where the problems come, right? Because if that's the only person that understands you, you're going to be gravitate towards them on a natural, innate basis. So when shit hits the fan, you know, like, and you don't see certain colors and characters of people, that's when things get really messy. So, like, all these influences, it, it comes from, like, a a very stigmatized approach to music and music is a huge influence and factor. But if these kids and these people, these brown youth, these Filipino youth, these, you know, these black youth, if all these youth had the right level of validation of love, of credibility and understanding and had space held for them to do what they want to do, then, you know, it wouldn't be the case because look at it, man, like kids, they grow up and without even knowing anything or how the world works, they're told what to do. Yeah. Right. And if you don't give them space to figure it out, they're going to fall prey to what's working for others. Exactly. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, you know, like when working with these like people like in the city, like with rappers and artists, do you feel that it's important for them to work with uh, people like yourself in order to see bigger opportunities or, impro uh, or improve in their branding? Because I know like nowadays, too, like with a lot of Toronto rappers, like one thing that they do sort of lack is like, you know, with branding, you know, just like finding out like a creator, like finding out like the creative director and all that or like not having like someone to approach them like a manager or like an A&R to lead them to the what to the like right way in that sense too, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think it even goes beyond just like uh, working with someone like me, quote unquote per se, because, you know, um, you know, it's so much bigger than me. It's more so about working with the right people and team that can bring about where you lack. So, you know, if your management, organization, structure and planning lack, having someone that is a project manager, a manager or an A&R offsets all your weaknesses and liabilities to a point where they handle what you're weak at and you stay within your genius again, right? Just being an artist, a rapper. And it's so important for not even just artists and rappers, but visual artists to align themselves with the right people that can teach them, mentor them and provide the structure they need. Yeah, most definitely. Um, getting back into the whole like branding idea, um, you've worked with Sick Kids, Swiss Chalet. I think with Sick Kids, that was for like uh, the marketing. Yeah, for the Sick market. Kids versus, yeah. All right. And, you know, like we also talked about the city of Toronto and Mississauga, which we already digged uh, deep on that. And like, you know, also like house. Uh, so with those three mentioned, what was like that experience and feeling like? For sure. So the city of Mississauga, I've done a bunch of poetry performances through Visual Arts Mississauga, as well as a lot of volunteer work. You know, helping structure and organize certain events, um, you know, like community givebacks, 
And in the city of Toronto, same thing, a lot of volunteer work and also helping the right communities get in contact with the right person at the city of Toronto City Hall to get certain projects going. The experience, like I said, was a very arduous and long process, a lot of back and forth, yes, no screening. Um, in terms of other places like House, um, you know, I've worked with them on their workshops. Uh, they've been so gracious to let me in and learn. So working in a collaborative community with other creatives has been like the most eye-opening experience because the sense of community and belonging when you know that your your mental and like how you maneuver is different, it's always so gratifying to experience other people that are in a similar sense and place in life. Okay. So it was very interesting to work with them. And then in terms of, I guess, uh, Swiss Chalet, it was more of a freelance work. So Swiss Chalet was actually, uh, was actually one of my funniest stories. So I'm, I used to have a photo studio that I was telling you, and on the top floor was a robotics company called Temi Canada. And they're doing huge work, uh, you know. Their, their owner and president of Temi Canada was a good buddy of mine, Scott Greenwood. Uh, you know, he's a British guy. And he put me in contact with Swiss Chalet. And I went and did like a whole photo shoot. And it was so interesting because it was the easiest job I've ever done. I went and took pictures of the outside and inside. And I edited the robot in. Done. But that opened and led to so many doors. So then I did their entire Robots for Humans campaign. It was the first big branding I've done. And now my logo that I made for them is going to be on like 1.4 million units across the world. So understanding the importance of give and take in business is really what taught me that, yeah, I'm going to eat less up front, but in the long run, I have more to work with on my portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And have you ever felt like that digital content creation and technology has expanded to improve the, like these brands? And, you know, with your experience, has it changed the way like a brand has looked at it, like has been looked at more? Absolutely, man. You look at the biggest brands and companies in the world that are started and are now popular because of their growth throughout the pandemic, uh, Telfair, the bags, you look at Shane and all these companies. And if there was no social media or technology, they would not be there, right? Because now you're looking at accessibility, right? You're looking at good products accessible to a lot of people in the world. You can deliver there and the accessibility is what puts people in contact. So seeing all these brands and this new technology connecting people is amazing for business. Yeah but it's counterintuitive for humanity. And the reason I say this is, is because as business scales, as more and more, you know, uh, opportunities come through social media, all it's going to do to you as a consumer is expect for more from you. More scrolling, more looking, more involvement on social media. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Not most definitely, because like when I look at like certain brands, like TikTok and like OnlyFans and like just like these apps, like alone and also like, you know, like as you mentioned, like with Telfar and all that with, um, was uh spacex mm-hmm. with uh like not lyft i think uh tesla and all that uh mm-hmm. like they've expanded more like just not even from the pandemic but from like other things as well too so like even like just like with brands that came like from the pandemic like with only fans tiktok do you think they would have the same reception of fame and notoriety now if the pandemic didn't happen or would it be still the same honestly the the pandemic was a huge melting point i'm not gonna lie because it really, really show people their priorities. And when you're getting money from the government to sit at home and do nothing, 9.9 times out of 10, people will do nothing. So I guess it really just played to the the factor that social media keeps people dull and lazy um, in the sense that if you're not consuming the right things for your mind, you're watering it down. Yeah. And when it came to actually like seeing how these things played out from a, a like a bigger perspective, Understanding the pandemic had so much idle time is why Amazon went up billions, is why TikTok users went up, is why all these things went up because if people have time and money, they will abuse it. Yeah. yeah and, and nowadays, I feel like if they were to relaunch, um, you know, something similar, it would still hit, but maybe not to yeah. the same degree. Obviously, because people are back, you know, outside and work and whatnot. Yeah. Most definitely. I know um, with uh, the old uh, Twitter uh, like founder and all that, like I think the chief CEO, like I think he's creating like a new app similar to like Twitter because of Elon Musk like, mm-hmm. working there too. So like, I don't know, like what's like your thoughts on that like right now? So honestly, man, one thing I, I will say, like I'm not against Elon or anything, but man, some of these billionaires in the world have more money than entire countries and their purchasing power triples and quintuples that of any country. So when it comes to now privatization and censorship and you're giving someone, anyone, not just Elon, this much money and this much control over something like that, man, you're playing a dangerous game. You're playing a very, very dangerous game just because no one should have this much power power over the general populace in any area, whether it be finances, power, uh, and definitely not social media. That's something that keeps everyone connected. Think about it like this, man. Rogers went down a couple of times this year, right? 
if the internet and social media got cut tomorrow, right, and Wi-Fi got cut, the world is done. Exactly. Credit card's not working. Everyone yeah. can access their banks. There's no money going in and out. The economy stops. The world's done. Yeah. We become so counterintuitive when it comes to technology that we've become so dependent on it. We don't realize what it's doing to our yeah. lives. Right? Like something like Twitter now. And man, I could go about this for hours, but they're introducing a, an $8 blue check mark. So, you know, you have $8 and you're verified on Twitter. And it's like yeah. the capitalism and commercialism of every single facet of our life is becoming cyberpunk almost. It's yeah. becoming a dystopian era yeah. of life similar to that of George Orwell's 1984. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Because I think, uh, you know, like no one can live without technology in that sense too. It's not like, you know, back in the day that, you know, you don't need technology to have fun. Like, you know, I think, you know, it's like a necessity I'm in, 90s, in yeah, life yeah, now, exactly. right? Like it's, it's yeah. you need, if you like, don't have a phone, you can't do business. You can't get yeah. to where you need to get to. You can't check the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's insane. Yeah. Like I'm assuming you're a 90s baby, right? Yeah, 95. Yeah, I'm 96. So like, you yeah. know, we grew up, you know, without technology or like, you you know, like reduced technology, you know, the computer, PS2, like PS1, all that type of stuff too. So we could go outside without no issues right? and all that. Yeah. So like we're used to like having fun without it. But I think this generation right now, because they've had like a team. iPad babies, yeah. iPad babies. I hate them. Sorry, go on. <laughs> like you know, like they're so used to having this technology. They're so used to having their phone every other day. You know, they can't imagine a world where there's no technology and all that. You know, like you'd have to go to like a remote island. You know, with no Wi-Fi, no like you know, like cell phone access. You know, no Rural 5G yeah. vegetation community. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And like, yo, it's so interesting you say that because like, yo. People now, and I can't even lie, like I am also heavily dependent on the same technology that I am, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm throwing shade on because that's just the reality of life, right? Like GPS systems, cell, cell network, uh, you know, credit cards, all these things, your Apple wallet on your phone. It's so necessity to your day to day now that bro, like if someone were to charge me five bucks to use these apps, I might still pay just because yeah. I need them, right? Yeah. Back in the day, bro, it was like, yo. Homies are on the video game. Six o'clock, let's go kick some soccer ball around. You know, just have fun. Yeah. And what I measure my life off of, which is relevant to this, is input and output. Before, yeah, exactly. the input was minimal. You're at school all day, you come home, you're on the computer a couple hours, play your video game, then you're out. Then the input got up because now you have your laptop, yeah. then you have your iPad. Now you have a, a super computer on your phone, in your pocket, almost 20 to 24 hours a day where it's like your input in your mind is so high. Yeah, exactly. None of your thoughts are yours yeah. anymore. And like, yo, this is something I have to periodically do with myself and like my phone and socials. I have to step back and say, bro, yeah. is my mind becoming an amalgamation of everything I'm seeing or is it my own thoughts? Yeah. A lot of times people don't have their own thoughts. They're just so influenced by what they see in here that this scrolling becomes your life and it mushes your brain. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I know this is kind of like a basic uh, question right now, but what do you look for like in a client? In a client? Uh, communication and willingness to, you know, work things out. Uh, there's a very big saying, not every client is a, not every customer is a client, right? And it's so true because before I just be like, yeah, let's work to whoever, like, let's get it done. But now it's like, I have to screen them, yeah. right? Are we a good fit for each other? You know, are my skills going to help you achieve your goals? Are you going to complain about small things that I don't want to hear about because they're irrelevant to, you know, the process. And it's like all these yeah, things exactly. really determine whether or not I want to work with someone. So Short answer is yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Were there ever like any situations you've dealt with a bad client or if you provided your services and the overall results didn't meet up with what the client expected? Oh, absolutely, man. And if I said no, I'd be lying to my through my teeth. Like honestly, man, like uh, the biggest part of business is adapting and understanding it's about the client. There have been print jobs, you know, not many, thank God, about two or three where it's like the placement of the logo was off or, you know, it was supposed to be above the pocket, but it's just the pocket shut. And it's like all these little things really upset the customer. And like what I had to do is obviously hugging out where it said, you know what, if you obviously there's a cost to this, we'll waive the cost and get it redone for free. And a lot of times like, yo, when these things happen, you see people's true colors, right? Because all problems can be solved, whether it be with patience, uh, collaboration or communication, they can be solved. So for people to get into these problems and react a certain way, shows their level and character. Yeah, most definitely. And I know like this is like something that most creatives like hate so much. I think any creative like hates so much that's not like a rapper or like an artist in that sense too. But in any given situation where a person asks you for your services and they either request to work with a reduced budget, so maybe like, you know, something for the cheap or if this is like kind of like the worst thing, if they wanted your services for free. Yo, I still do free work to this day. 
You know, like I've, I'm very, very established. I believe in what areas I'm good at. Like I'm known in certain things. Like people hit me for logos yeah. and print all the time, yeah. but they're still doing free work to this day just because, bro, businesses, like, yo, when it comes down to business acumen and understanding business knowledge, there's one thing you need to know. It's the year end quarter for profit loss statement. What are the numbers? That's all you need to know about business as a teaching. When it comes to business as a lifestyle man, the numbers don't mean shit. You're in the business of dealing with people, of building relationships, and of doing people right, right? Yeah. So if you can't do these or upkeep your commitments and your values, you're not going to last very long at all. And yeah. the biggest part to understand this is like, yo, when it comes to profit and loss, people aren't plus minus. It's not yeah. red and green, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. It's a very emotional it's a very sticky situation to maneuver too, just because like, yo, personalities clash, egos clash, yeah. you know, like belief systems clash and understanding people. And I think as a man, your most valuable skill in this world is de-escalation, yeah, exactly. right? The ability to see a situation yeah. pumping up and escalating and, you know, being able to collectively and calmly and say, hey, you know, I know you're upset. Yeah. It's completely understandable. Here are some options of how we can solve this. How would you like to proceed? And just understanding that a lot of people... Like, yo, misery loves company. A lot yeah. of people would rather be upset and complain about something for days and weeks on an end than actually just get the hell up and go fix it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I know, like, in some situations, if you're dealing with, like, you know, like, a returning client or, like, a client that you're working with, you know, like, there's no, not going to be an issue. But let's say, like, a client comes in for the first time, they're expecting something, you know, for free or to not pay, like, the full rate. Like, there's obviously going to be, like, a different, like, reaction and all that, you know, because, like, you know, like imagine you're giving your services, your time, your equipment. If anything were to happen, you know, like there's no equipment and, you know, like there's nothing to reimburse in that yeah. sense, you know, so. So, yeah, it's actually interesting because like obviously there, you can, you know the difference, man. Like I just move off of energy and, you know, people being genuine because I feel like I try to be as genuine as I can. That A lot of times people, like I said, again, would see what you've built for yourself and would rather come be a part of it and try to benefit off it than build on something themselves. And yeah. it's important to, I guess, differentiate who's there for their benefit and who's there because they actually want to be there and support. Because mm -hmm. if someone I've never really talked to asked me, hey, man, let me get like a 50 shirt order for free. I don't want to pay, but I'll tag you out on my, my Instagram story. It's like, yo, that's not making sense. I move yeah. off of value, right? So yeah. if I'm providing you a certain level of value in terms of free merchandise, free T-shirts or free order, well, value, even if it's not money, can you give me? Whether mm -hmm. it be something like trading services, giving me a photo shoot, like very little things, it's like, you can tell when people are there to take and when people actually want to yeah, build a exactly. genuine connection yeah. and foundation with you. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I know like in many situations, there's like projects or clients that you would like never take on. But like I know you explained more about your screening situation, if it's like a right fit and all that. But in your perspective and, you know, in your mindset, are there some projects or clients that you would never take on in your opinion? Absolutely. And uh, like it's transferable, whether it be whatever industry I'm dealing with, whether it be design, print, branding, versus project management, you know, and structuring a business, 100%. And the main thing that deters me from people is their attitude, right? Like, if I think you're going to keep a bad attitude and, like, we haven't even started the project, the deposit's not even filled, I'm like, hey, this is not a good fit. If it's if you're willing to work, willing to be reasonable and understand the different assets and the, sorry, the different facets of what we're doing, then I'm willing to work because, man, people think, like, print and design is, like, you get the material, you get your iPad, you push a button, and boom, it's magically done. And it's like, no, it's a process. It takes time. It takes a lot of energy and focus behind it. So people that don't respect that are people I'm never willing to work with because they're never going to sympathize with you if something goes wrong, Chris, and they're going to hold it over your head for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so we're now on the last uh, part right now and okay. got to like kind of like fast up like the questions for a bit too. So being a POC in the digital creative arts industry, have you ever felt that you need to compete or work twice as hard to gain the same respect or value as like a white creative in that sense? Honestly, I've actually never, never kind of broken it down like that, but that could be partially true. I've never felt I've had to work harder, but now that you do say that, I feel like there are obviously opportunities just given, but at the same time, like, man, we're moving to a forefront in the digital age where representation is everything, right? Like people of different ethnic backgrounds are becoming creatively successful not because of where they're from, but because of what they do, their output. And it's so interesting to see because as more and more people of color pop up in the creative industry doing bigger projects, they're always the outlier, right? And I think uh, it was Kishan Mystery. I was watching a video that he posted a while back, and it's like he was going to all these rooms, these big corporations, meaning all these bigger names, and he was like the only brown dude in the room, right? And I think it's on us as people of color, him and other people of color, to pave a way walk where no other creative of color has walked and pave a way for the new generation because 
man, if we don't, who will? <laughs> exactly, man. And um, how do you feel about like the Toronto and GTA creative scene right now? Like at the moment, do you feel that there should be some changes in the direction of where the scene should go to? Or you feel like it's fun the way it is? Man, the amount of talent, just raw, artistic, creative talent in the GTA from East End Scarborough all the way to Hamilton and Burlington, like it's ridiculous. Bro, the, the amount of talent I've seen is ridiculous. The scene itself, it doesn't need anything more from the artists other than their expression to put their work out and then the structure. Honestly, man, I feel like there's not enough privatization, privatized communities, organizations that can get the funding needed to help facilitate these artists and their work. And I feel like the structure and organization heavily needs to change because if you think about it, man, like if we had the opportunities that are coming out now as kids, our lives would have played out so differently. If I had a creative outlet as a child and I was shown and taught how to work through it as a kid, my life would be, you know, different yeah. from what it is now for sure. So it's on us to provide now that structure and organization. And that's the most important thing I feel like that needs to change. That's going to yeah. get Toronto to Atlanta level or, you know, or beyond. <laughs> Yeah, most definitely. I think we talked about this like in like the previous parts and all that, just like with uh, you know funding and everything else too. So like definitely that's important. Like having like good a uh, good team around you, like that's like everything like needed. Everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly, man. Um, so what would be like some great advice that you would give to any like aspiring creatives? Man, start. That's like one of the. I'm gonna say a couple things, but number one would be start. Like so often we're caught up in making something perfect, making sure it's good with our level of you know quality of make sure it meets our standards we don't realize that someone else could love it just start put your work out it's like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks man like it's you really got to put yourself out there and the most important thing is stay true to you like so often in life like and I'm, I'm just as guilty of this in the past right where we get so caught up by our environment the people around us that we forget what we want and what we want to do and how to accomplish it and just stay true to yourself because that's what's going to give you the most opportunity and open the most doors. When you're genuine and authentic with your character, people will see you as someone that you are, not what you're trying to be, which is the most important thing. Yeah, most definitely. And do you have any uh, regrets like in your life uh, right now or like you don't have any right now? Man, <laughs> regrets are interesting. Like everyone has regrets. Um, my biggest regret in life right now is that I didn't take my creativity serious from a young age or like, you know, sooner. That's, I'd say my biggest regret just because Knowing where I'm at and only two short years of hard work in the creative industry and everything I've accomplished, like, it's it's big. And it's not even to, like, boost myself, but it's, like, had I had this tenacity, focus, and ambition at 14, 15 in high school, man, like, I'd be on it right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, like, my main regret that I didn't start early enough. And then I guess another regret is, man, just caring so much about what people think to the point where it stopped me from putting my work out. And I'm still kind of guilty of this because as a poet, I feel like I'm heavily speaking my direct situation or my past out. It's a very vulnerable thing, right? So me not focusing more on how I want to do it and focusing more on people's reactions hindered my release for a while, hindering the releases I'm working on now because it has to be perfect. So all these things, man, like my biggest regrets would be not starting earlier and definitely caring too much what other people think because it's my craft. Like I don't, if you don't like it, that's, that's cool. I like my poetry kind of thing. You have to have that yeah. mentality in everything you do. Yeah, and you have to think like you're the sickest at it too because the confidence is a huge part. Like, yo, I'm not the best basketball player in the world, but if you ask me to play LeBron, I'm going to tell you I'm going to beat him. I'm probably not going to beat him, but I'm going to think I'm going to beat him. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's the energy yeah. you have to come with. Yeah, most definitely, man. Like, aside from the project that you have, uh, like, what's uh, next for you in terms of other creative projects and so forth? And do you have any uh, closing remarks you'd like to say? For sure. So, yo, I'm actually working on my third installation of Nui Noir, Nui Noir 3. Um, it's going to be the biggest one yet. It's going to be a crazy art show, fashion show, and music show where I'm going to showcase different artists and their crafts through different mediums and it's going to be huge um i'm getting the right sponsorship and funding for it this time so i can really focus on making it top tier and then another project is a lot of my poetry coming out you know i'm sending on a lot of good work that i'm excited to share with the world and release and right now for the past year since my last project it's just been about structuring and finding the right way it would work for me right know yourself and i guess a final takeaway for today would be bro is exactly that know yourself right so a lot of people, they get so caught up in like what worked for someone else, what their journey was like and how they got to the level they're at. They forget that that's not you. That's their experiences, the trials and tribulations, the their creative skill set and whatever they went through isn't similar to your story. So your output, if the input doesn't match, the output never will. So 
know yourself enough to understand what your likes are, your passions, your dislikes, what works for you and what doesn't. Because if you don't know yourself, man, you're going to get lost in the sauce very easily out here. Yeah, most definitely. Um, would you uh, like to plug in your socials for people to, to check? Sure, man. Yeah. So uh, I'm at MayHusta.Art. That's my website, www.MayHusta.Art. You can catch some crazy poetry coming on there. And then my Instagram is MayHusta.Art as well. M-A-Y-H-O-O-S-E.Art right here. And yeah, I'm going to get more active on TikTok. So I'm not going to drop it yet and be under a different handle. But I got some cool stuff coming up for sure. You know, I want to say thank you for having me. It was a great, great podcast. You yeah, know, man. long time coming. And yeah, most stuff we needed, man. You know, uh, just, shout out 1997 yeah. Studios too. Yeah, most definitely, man. And uh, this is Josh, also known as Yashu, of episode 20 of Tila White Talks. You could definitely uh, check it out like on all streaming platforms. So when it's released, also on YouTube and everything else too. You could also uh, follow me at Lens of Yashu and also at Habitual Joshua to find out on more content and much more as well too. And this is Josh, also known as Yashu, signing off on Tila White Talks.